Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Osiris. Hey, this is Oteal. If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. Welcome back to another episode of Comes a Time 2022. Happy Slide New Year. right into home. Yeah. Good yeah, to be we, back with everybody. Yeah, it's nice to have a little break there. Mm. I thought uh, 2022 was slide was starting to circle the drain already. <laughs> but <laughs> a lot of hopeful and cool things have come up, man, just in the last week and you know, it's really amazing. Now I feel I feel super hopeful about 2022 all of a sudden. Well, you good. Know? Good. That's important. And uh we wanted to kick off the year with an amazing guest. Who better than St. Stephen himself? <laughs> Big Steve Parrish. The best. Uncle Steve. He's amazing. There's always some other story. Like I know they're endless. But then I just, it never fails to just like still catch me off guard, like how completely off the wall it is. Yeah. 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 So funny. We and got the into fact some... that he can remember it. How? Yeah, that, that, that always blows me away. <laughs> I mean, I listen to his radio show when I'm on, you know, I'm, I'm driving all the time and I'm, if it's on, I'm listening. Oteil, someone will call and go, I was at the, Richmond, Virginia, 74. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that Thursday. It was a, that was a cold night. And he'll just remember like everything. And I'm like, this, he literally is a, an encyclopedia. Anybody that says that, that weed messes with your memory, go see Steve. <laughs> he must be one of these guys that has that photographic memory. Yeah. So it doesn't like matter if he was high or drunk or not or whatever. Mm. Like he just, the photographic memory part of his brain. So I know some cats like that. It, they could tell you what, yeah, it was a Tuesday and was blah, blah. It's like, Amazing. How on earth could you possibly? But yeah, thank God he can remember it because otherwise you wouldn't really know that stuff that impossible actually happened. <laughs> right. Very true. Very true. He's the best and he's got such a great heart and, uh, we're so happy to have him on. So enjoy it and uh, hope your year is going good so far, everybody. Yeah. Um, we got a lot of great guests in the hopper. So buckle up, kids. <laughs> enjoy, Steve. See you soon. Hey, 
Yeah. I lost it's my got... toothbrush in 1971, and I'm going to find it eventually here, I think. <laughs> I think I know where I put it. <laughs> in the lost and found. What happened to Otiel? Now I just see some kind of uh, holding place for him there. It looks like a superhero. Uh, no, that's Eric. I think you went oh, out that's... of... Oh, okay, yeah, no, you're, you're over here. here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Otiel's going to do it as a superhero. I like that. Um, <laughs> How you doing, but... Steve? Happy New Year, bud. Happy New Happy Year. Happy New Year, guys. Okay, I understand I'm the first... Uh, victim of the season okay <laughs> and so i'm gonna fight back for everybody that you're gonna tear up this year i'm gonna fight back for him right now beautiful but it's great to be here with you guys again i missed you and missed you. Uh, you know it's a funny thing i was just talking about uh toothbrush right so the first time my mother comes to a show at winterland right my mom and dad they come there to see where i'm working and bob Bobby and Jerry, I'm introducing them to Bobby and Jerry. And my mother pulls out of her uh, pocket five toothbrushes and she hands them to me. And she says, I know you boys don't brush your teeth enough on the road. <laughs> so here, here's some toothbrushes. And she gives one to Jerry and one to Bobby and me the rest, right? <laughs> so we're just, we're just like a bend at the waist. And oh, Mrs. Parrish, thank you so much. And, and he hands me the toothbrush back and he goes, I would like no one better than Steve to carry my toothbrush for me on the road. And he kind of smiled and, and then he walked off. Right. So, uh, and Jerry just was real nice. He said, thank you. And he went off. So my father goes, Hey, what do you mean by that? Is he a wise guy or what? And he's going like, what, what was that about? I go, nobody brings toothbrushes to a show, dad. So don't worry. <laughs> but, uh, that's it's awesome. Just a laugh about how, uh, when you start off on the road, you know, you lose all the habits that you were so painstakingly taught your whole life. <laughs> Absolutely. You, know, you, know, you stop eating correctly. You stop sleeping at the right times. You stop everything that you knew before. And that seems to be the formula at work for the Grateful Dead anyway. You know? Well, hopefully you uh, learn to get some of them back before it kills you. you know, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that was my journey anyway. I was like, hey, I used to live without like doing this. <laughs> Well, and that's the weird thing too, when you're driving across the country and you don't know when the next time you're going to stop is. So you're like, I better find something to eat at this gas station because who knows how many hours we're going to be on the road. So you just grab what you can. And two right, hours right. later, you pass an amazing diner and you're like, shit, I'm all filled on gas station hot dogs. I wish I could, you know, <laughs> but you well, do things out of necessity. That's that illusion of the road that it, you think it's going to take care of you and <laughs> you realize you've got to take care of it. And yeah. what happens, uh, you know, you will wake up in the middle of the night in a hotel room sometimes and go, am I killing myself? Wait a minute. Is that, you know, what I did tonight or what I did uh, for the last few days? Uh, I, I know what O'Teal's talking about there. You, you, you actually sacrifice so much of your physical self sometimes. Mm. We had to do that. A guy called my show on the radio the other day, O'Teal, and he says to me, uh, I just did the math, and I don't see – it's not possible that you guys could have gone from Boston to all these other shows, and he, and he was zeroing in on this Cornell show of 1977 that so many deadheads think is iconic, right? Yeah. And, and he, had the, he had it laid out. He said, I did the math, and there's no way you guys could have slept and eaten and driven the trucks and gotten there. And so I said to him, well, how far is it from Boston to Cornell? Do you even know? He didn't even know. 
he had a whole wrong thing. I said, you see why you are not a roadie, my friend? Because <laughs> you were thinking. You're thinking too much. You're overthinking it. We just did it. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we were, when we went to that show, it wasn't like, oh, man, we're at Cornell, and this is going to be the show that everybody talks about. We were doing our daily thing every day. Stopping <laughs> or sleeping, you just keep going, you know? Yeah. And the music is so driving in that way. To bring music to people, I thought it was the best job in the world. <laughs> That's what I would have told him is like, who said we stopped and slept or ate? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> we never said we slept or ate. <laughs> we made that gig. <laughs> the gig was the thing. You got to eat when you could and you got to sleep when you could, but the gig was more important. That could only happen certain parameters. And yeah. so and then I realized that so many people don't get that. You know, uh, one time when I was first uh, starting with Jerry Garcia band, we started that together, Jerry and I, and we were playing over at Berkeley, you know, and, I was packing up the drums at the end of the show. Everybody had pretty much left the nightclub. These two guys are standing there like this, and they're watching me pack up, and they're going, what do these guys do exactly? They were like, you know, two birds on a, on a wire or something going, oh, I don't think they do much, but it's a big deal here. What is, and, and I just had to stop. I said, hey, you know what? You guys aren't getting this. Get the hell out of here right now and shut up and leave. And they thought I was so wrong for doing that, but a lot of people come to shows and they don't realize all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, man. Oh, yeah. And I don't want them to. You don't want them to know that in show business. Yeah. You want them to come and enjoy themselves and not think about all that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you just know about the musicians coming out there and playing. That's fine. But 
uh, it, it's, it's a mystery, whatever else happens at a show. And there's so much stuff. Am I right, O'Keel? All day I long. Mean, I, I really, it really brought it home to me um, touring during the pandemic because yeah. our crew is so great. Thank you so much to each and every one of our crew on Dead and Company because mm-hmm. we got away with 31 shows, man, with nobody getting infected. And you realize <sighs> if one person, man, one person, and everybody just kept it on lockdown, you know, and I just thought, man, we have no idea. Like, even I don't think about it that much the way I did over this summer. Because every single person that does every little thing, you know, like was walking a razor's edge, you know. Yeah. It's so interesting, too, what you just said, Steve, illusions of the road. Like, that. that's mm-hmm. such a great way of putting it. Because, you know, you talk about, like, when you're getting gigs and you're on the road and you're working and the calendar is just... It's not months and days. It's just where to next, you know, and yeah. and and people go, think it's like this glorious thing, and it's like, no, like it, it's it's rough, it's t- it's terribly rough on the body and the mind. It can be very lonely too, even with such a big crew, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. And and you know, uh, people would always say, "Oh man, you guys got such a great job. You get to go around with Jerry and the guys, and you're you know you're just partying all the time and doing all this work, and it's so great." No, man, you don't get it at all. And it's the stuff you're talking about. You're, you're, you're trapped out there a lot. You're there uh, all day and night. You know, you don't get to go home, let's say, but like other people do from their job. And right. I'm not saying your home isn't with everybody. Like you, you yeah. have your and you got a whole family with you taking care of you. But uh, there is a lonely moment. You know, you're at these stadiums with, with 50,000 people, then quick as 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 you can imagine you're whisked back to a hotel room and you all of a sudden you're sitting there alone you know and you go yeah. wait a and and i don't know if you guys ever noticed this but at the show we would talk about this a lot in the early days uh with jerry i talked to him and and when you're at the show sometimes you're fighting with all your energy to, to stay there and focused on everything you know you're putting your mind and body into it and then when you get back to that room you're still amped like that, but all of a sudden you have to calm down yeah. and that's a trick. And that's why everybody starts with all this extra stuff, you know, the extracurricular stuff. Yeah. And, uh, we, we were at masters at the party. We never stopped. And that's one thing that guy didn't even have in his formula about how we got from all those places, the partying. <laughs> he forgot about that completely. <laughs> because we were still, you had to come back to the hotel and you had to bleed that energy off somehow. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I ended up eating overnight a lot, because somehow like right. being full would calm me down. But that's like the worst thing for you to like eat a big meal at like 1130 at night. Then you watch a movie. It's like, oh, now I want something sweet. Oh, we got yeah, into a heavy conversation. Now I want something salty again. Sweet, salty, yeah. sweet, salty. Go to bed at 4 like, How many times are you eating laying down? You're like eating horizontally, <laughs> which is just the foods just I sitting wouldn't. in your esophagus. <laughs> I've I done drew that the so line there. Times. I would because in the bunk it'll like bounce your food into your bed so I was like all right no eating laying down yeah that's so true you know because you you live on the road and and the first few years we didn't have any food when we started there was no crap there was no catering there was no food there was what you you ate out of vending machines and in gas stations there weren't even those uh facilities like they have in gas stations now to get right. food. Yeah. They didn't even have hot pockets. <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't even have hot pockets. 
right? So we were always hungry. And so then when we got established more and we had all that food and you could take food home to the hotel and stuff, people made that mistake. And boy, then you see it on their waistlines and their attitudes and different things, you know, and you have to then grip on yourself to go back the other way because you're not there you're not there to drink you're there to get the job done and get the music out you know but you can get down these paths of comfort and that's a bad place to get for a band sometimes you, you start uh if that makes any sense you know what i'm saying yeah. you be too comfortable on the road and that's not good either you know ramrod my dear mentor and, and friend he could fall asleep anywhere we were if we stopped for a minute on a stage waiting for something He'd fall asleep on the riser, man, just like that. Oh, I, lucky. God, he's I, so lucky. And I couldn't even sleep on planes. I've never been able to for some reason. You know, I'll, I'll close my eyes and nod out a little bit, but your neck starts hurting. It's not yeah. comfortable for me. But yeah. some people can sleep anywhere. And, and he always said, if you can catch an hour, do it, you know, because we were moving all the time. And people who want to go on the road and they always talk about, oh, how much fun that is, how great. I say to them this, you couldn't even take the hour. <laughs> you couldn't even stay awake as long as you think. Yeah. You know? And they, it's true. It's really true. Because uh, it's sort of like in those days, I, when we were doing the wall of sound, I always had that feeling of it was, you know, iron men and wooden ships kind of thing. Because it was all this gear that we were doing and there was only four or five of us doing it. This whole story that got started about, oh, you had, you know, go ahead crews to do the day before. No, that was a scaffolding crew that had to be exactly right for us to come in there with all the rest of the gear. You know, we never uh, had two sets of, of crew. It was always just us doing it. And it got to be when you worked that much on the road, we were had to get up at 6 a.m., and we only went to sleep at 4 a.m., you know, because you couldn't, when you did a one-nighter with that, there wasn't enough time to get to the next place even. So it seems like an illusion. But when you have people driving and you catch a, a little shut-eye, you maybe stop somewhere and, and eat a candy bar, that was what the road was like then. Yeah. And, and, those, and those were before the days of multi-night runs. I mean, of course, you'd have like your run at Winterland or your run in New York right. or your run in Chicago, but most of the... You see a lot of bands now doing like three, four nights in a venue or, you know, two nights oh. here, three nights here, two nights here. Like that wasn't, you guys were like well, on the well, highway every night. We were going one-nighters, one-nighters, one-nighters. And then once you get established, you can start getting into two nights in a place, then three nights. Then we'd set records in places like, you know, Madison Square Garden, be there for two weeks or something. Wow, was that incredible. So <laughs> yeah. have it like that. But then it also, you lose an edge. If you don't keep moving like that, you change and things change. Your edge changes, you know. And then sometimes look to uh, drugs or different things to get that edge again. And that doesn't quite work, you know, because you can end up uh, driving yourself crazy, trying to mix yourself in to the right place. I, I used to remember so many guys would say, we go up and we go down, you know, because you're trying to sleep when you can, but it, yeah. your body's not ready to sleep, baby, when you are. So all that stuff, you learn to do it to survive, you know, and, and you got to stay healthy. You've got to stay healthy. And it, it's, it's a magical thing, I think, you know, and it doesn't go away. It's still that way on the road right now. Right. O'Teal? Yeah. I mean, I'm always in awe of, all the older guys out there on the road still doing it, man. Like my buddy, uh, 
Jason Crosby. He did yeah. a bunch more dates with Jackson Brown than we did oh. this summer, I think. And uh, yeah, but you know, killing he, it. He, I consider him a baby. He's fairly young. My Jackson opinion. Brown's pretty. Yeah, Jackson weird, Brown's but, up there, right? Yeah. But now he's up there. Yeah, he's a road warrior. Uh, Jason totally is, you know, and he goes for the music and he'll go where he yeah. has to. I've seen him do it for years, you know, like what you're talking about. He makes that extra thing. He'll be playing a gig in Mill Valley and then he, in the next morning he's getting up at six to get a plane to go back east and play a gig. You know, I mean, people, yeah. that's the sacrifice you make for the gig you chose. It's the hardest profession in the world. People think it's so easy to be a musician. It's one of the toughest things. Man, uh, for sure. <laughs> Most bands don't make it. I think about how few bands make a yeah. page that they can rely on. Most people have to, you know, that's why Hunter wrote Keep Your Day Job way back. To it. Uh, yeah. You know, my uncle, Mitchell Parrish, who wrote so many incredible standard songs, you know, with Duke Ellington, he wrote Sophisticated Lady. He was a lyricist. And uh, oh, wow. Stardust with Hoagie Carmichael. He kept wow. working his whole life. He had a day job as a court reporter and people would say, you're the guy who wrote Stardust, still working. He said, yeah, because I'm never putting that down. He always had that feeling of what poverty was like when he was trying to make it on Tin Pan Alley way back. Yeah. <laughs> time that we don't know about, but he would come around with us. He lived to be 95 and he'd come to shows at Madison Square Garden. He loved to sit with Jerry and the guys and talk about what showbiz was like back then, you know, and how you still do all that same sacrifices for your art yeah you push yourself out there yeah. nobody else really do it if you don't believe in yourself right yeah i wonder about that like keeping the day job thing i wonder if that kept music fun for him too because there is that place where you know when you love something so much and you dedicate your life to it you almost begin to suffocate it it, it, it the scale tips where now it's you need it in order to survive yeah, and that become, changes your whole outlook on everything. You know, I mean, think about that job. with Dead and Jerry Band, you know, like. Right. But I'll tell you something right now, O'Teal and I are going to be on the bill, the same bill at a place called Skull and Roses in Ventura. Uh, yeah. Right? Hell yeah. yeah. And we had we the crew, we had a band and we'd go out every day. You know, when we got done setting up, we started playing. Healy was on lead guitar. Ramrod would play rhythm guitar. Uh, I was drumming. And uh, once in a while, somebody would play piano and Jackson was playing bass. And so we started doing that every day. We'd get set up and we'd rush. Then we got into it. You know, you see in the Garcia band, Jerry would get there every show at one o'clock. He'd show up. So I had to be there in the afternoon and just be me and him. I'd have the gear set up and he'd be playing guitar and I'd be playing drums and he would work me out. I mean, he just... He wouldn't stop for a second, man. That we just sat there noodling together all day. So uh, then, of course, I had Billy and Mickey to teach me the rudimental stuff. And so That's the great. band, we were getting pretty good. And so uh, we would play. And if the guys came in for sound check, we jumped back and let them play. Or sometimes they just jumped in with us and played together, you know. And um, so one day they came in late in Buffalo and we were playing to the audience. The audience was already in. And, we're, <laughs> and so they, they, they all were in a bad, surly mood, man. And the whole band lined up behind and said, okay, you guys are good enough, man. You can go out and be a band now. Go ahead. Go do that. 
I said, no, I jump off the drums. I said, no. And by that, by that time, Bob had named us the Ass Bites from Hell. That was the name. Of the yeah. Ass Bites from Hell. That's amazing. So, uh, we jumped off and we never played again. We stopped. That was 19, around 1973. We never played again with them uh, in that setting. And so now the guys from Ventura challenged me. And so I put the band together. Now I got AJ playing guitar and Mike McGinn, if you guys know him, and Vadim is drumming. So guess who's the lead singer now? You're talking to him, guys. Uh-oh. Oh, I'm ready Whoa. for this, dude. I'm ready for this. And they, I challenged myself. And you know what? I didn't believe in myself. I didn't think I could do it, but I did it, man. And awesome. I made myself learn it because I'm, I've been immersed in it in so long, for one thing. Right. But now I have LSD, lead singer's disease. So watch <laughs> it. <laughs> Steve, Steve with his leather pants. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, baby, because you're out there and you better take all of your history, all of your showbiz, all of your game, put it out there. If you don't, go away. Hell yeah. No, totally. Um, you're, watch, that- out watch out for the ass fight. So I'm going to get to see AJ play a whole set. Oh, baby. Oh, oh yeah. Baby. We've been rehearsing and we, we, we've been rehearsing. That's incredible. Yeah. This wow. is, see, twenty this year needs, man. Yeah. I'm telling you, I, it started out a little rough, but now there's this things, thing after thing has happened to make it really look up, man. This is that's great news. Well, I love that, Steve, about being all in because it's like that's the Steve Martin thing, you know, like you perform to the person in the very last row, and that's who you're connecting with, you know, the or just up one, here, right? I've yeah. had one person. It's been like, baby. 50 people at a show and they're not getting it. And there's one person that's like going nuts. Feel back there you by go. And I'm like, and man, that would be the best show we ever played because it would just be like, there's somebody here that gets it. And that energy was enough for us to make a bonfire. You know, you know, uh, people ask me all the time and people called in. I called in the show the other, last Thursday and he said the same thing that you're talking about. He said, Steve, I know you've talked about it before, how people come and told you that when Jerry was playing, he stared right at me and he played to me, you know. And so I always tell him the story. of We had a really good friend. His name was Billy Crow, right? And he was a, a, a guy who provided us with uh, the fruits of life. You know, he was a, a pot and a real good one and a real dedicated cat and a real smart guy and a really beautiful cat. And so he was loved the music and he would take a lot of uh, psychedelics and things at the shows. He'd come up and say hi to me and Jerry. And then he'd go in the audience, you know, always. That was his routine. And so at the break, he came up to me at uh, Oakland one time and he said, Steve, I said, I don't know what it is. I've been to you know, so many shows. He'd been to hundreds of shows. He said, Jerry played the whole set to me. He stared right at me. And, and, and so and then he walked off, you know. And so when Jerry came up, I said, you know, Jerry Crow was just up here. And he said that you played to him. You played the set to him. And Jerry said, I did. I did. Oh, no I way. Said, I said, you really? And, and then I thought about it, you know, because he always would want us to keep the lights. He would, we would have to bend a couple of lights in, the, in clubs, in nightclubs even, just to see so we could look at the audience, you oh. know, and see the people. Because without that, uh, completion of the chain, he didn't like it. He yeah. wanted 
see the only people he was playing to. And he did it all the time. And, and, you know, it was random, I'm sure, that he just stared at people while he's playing and they thought it meant everything. But it did. And it's real. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Who it, knows it, why? You know, like you, uh, it happens to me sometimes. I'm like, oh, God, I hope I didn't make that person feel uncomfortable, you know. But at the same time, like, I don't know why you just come to rest on a certain person's energy and you just, <laughs> like. <laughs> makes you feel I've seen you smile, and I know if I look at you, you're probably seeing somebody out there enjoying themselves, you know, or something yeah. hits you like that. And it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reflection thing of what you're working your whole life for, what you're giving up your family and doing all that stuff to travel. That's your yeah. payoff, really. You know, it yeah. isn't money so much. It isn't, it isn't when you get all this glory or fame or whatever. It's the payoff of making those people happy. That was... And if you lose that, you, you're just going to become a rock star, you know what I mean, or something. You, but you can't lose that that connection. Yeah, that's They're the like juice my life in the line. moment. That's the juice that you need in the moment to get through. Sometimes, you mm -hmm. know, like there's some rooms that I've done stand up at where the it's pitch black. I can't see the crowd at all, and I can't do. I can't just tell jokes into the darkness. Like <sighs> I want to see people and I want to connect with people, and and it's so hard to do it to like an abyss you know like gotta see faces to me stand up that when i when you make a, a place I, i've done it and when you can get the whole place laughing there's no better get off in the world than any drug or whatever you can imagine when you see the audience smiling and they're yeah. got you humor and they're laughing with you that's pretty heavy moment you know and it's the same thing when your music is accepted and people are going you know out of their minds for it that's a big deal that's yeah. really, I think. Oh, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. I think it's hard to do it when you can't see the, when you can't see the faces and you can't hear the, like, actually, because seeing laughter is just as important as hearing laughter. When you see someone kind of go back and get it yeah, and they kind of start to laugh and you could see them jovially, like elbowing a friend or whatever, but you can also see a, a, a joke bomb pretty hard. Too. <laughs> you need that too. Oh, it's just as important. <laughs> yeah. Well, you play a clam and, and everybody looks at you, then it's the same feeling. But, but riffing with an audience, when you're riffing with them, th there's a certain connection. Anybody who's ever felt it knows that that's what you want. Right. And, and there's so many bands that are up there banging away and they don't make that connection sometimes. They, they're too wrapped up in themselves. I've seen it, man. If you get too wrapped up in yourself, then you can't do it. You have to bust apart and give your heart to the audience and give your arms and legs to people, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, me, I think about it like that. I, I, because I, I would see uh, in Jerry's band, so many people came through that band that were incredible musicians. I was thinking about it the other day, you know, Nicky Hopkins, Ron Tut, yeah. uh, Paul Humphreys, uh, a million people. And, and when Tut was playing, what's his name? Uh, who's the guitar player for Elvis, man? You know who I mean. Uh, oh, oh. Uh, his name escapes me at this moment. He would Dude. come with us, you know? And so you're meeting all wow. these people through other musicians, you know? And uh, when, uh, even in bluegrass, when Jerry had Olden in the way, guys like Chubby Wise, these, these history... Yeah. Uh, making musicians and and vassar clemens they would come around and you'd see them do their thing but when they stopped playing they were regular people 
you know, and, and they were, they had needs and wants just like everybody else. But yeah. when, when that thing is happening, you're out of your body. When, when the band's playing and everybody's in this one place, I, I've always noticed that you, you can't even talk to people when they come right off the stage because they're so high from music, you know, <laughs> yeah. no use. I say, Oh wow, that was great. And then the band would say, what, what shut up, man. Well, tell Bobby to play the fucking right part, will you, man? <laughs> or, or tell Mickey, would you go over and tell Mickey to stop doing, banging on that fucking ride? Cycle? And then I learned to shut up. Don't even say it because they're in a different place on the music, you know? And so you can't just be a fan to be yourself either of your own music. You have to, it's constantly working on you, man. And you're working every second to get better. If you're not, you might as well go get another job. It's hard. I'd like try to ride that line between being too much in my head about it. Because a lot of times when people have said that was so great and I had a rough night, so I immediately think of whatever succession of things that went bad enough for me to put that in the shitty night category, right? right. But they don't see it that way. And then, you know, now, of course, everything's videotaped, audio taped. And I listen back later and I'm like, they were right. Like mm -hmm. I've... I was frustrated about that at the time, but in the big picture of the show, it, they were right. So now I'm just like, okay, when I'm too much in my head, if I just open my eyes and look up at the people and you'll just see someone so blissed out and I'm like, well, in my world, this is going wrong. And in their world, it's, they're in heaven. So let me tune into their vibe, you know, and get some of that. And then I'm like, get out of your head, man. Get out of here, you know. Well, I watch you. You know, I can see you, my friend. I don't know. You might consider me just a I person you know in your life. Yeah. But I watched you, and I saw that you were in pain, too, on some of this, this touring. Yeah. And I realized, by the way, when you made that statement, you said, you know, I got to kind of sit down a little bit, you know. And you were making that piece with the audience to tell them that I'm still here for you guys. But yeah. I'm hurting. And some people would understand that, you know, because yeah. I've never seen it when, when musicians, they'll sacrifice, they'll go on stage sick, you know, hurting, broken arms, everything. I've seen it all. They just, the music is so important that it's an incredible gift that we have in this universe to have music. Yeah. And you have to treat it sacred. You know, even though our stages always felt to me like sacred, uh, you know, places, like almost religious in a sense. Yeah. What's the spirituality that it gives to people? Yeah. And it's, it gets, it's hard to talk about for me sometimes because it's corny and, and it sounds funny, but that's really what it's about. And you exhibit it to me in that way. I saw you hurting and you, you, didn't, you didn't let it get in the way of playing, you know, because you're that way. You're dedicated and you suffered. I can tell by looking at you, you suffered to get where you are. Well, you know, it's like I didn't want to be like, okay, you know, you could do the stiff upper lip thing. And I just like could pound painkillers and just do right. it. And I was like, all right. But in the long run, if I like have a heavy painkiller addiction because I'm trying to keep up the image that everything's okay, it's like, you know, uh, hey, folks, everything's not quite okay. I mean, I'm all right, but I got to sit down if we're going to, yeah. you know, after drums in space. I just need a lower back needs a break, you know, because I've seen the alternative, man. And I, I'm really, really scared of pills and how addictive yeah. they are. 
and uh, I, you know, eventually I'll have surgery and all that. I'm about to go get that shot so I can get some relief. Well, you, know. you ought to let me come and operate on you. I'm a street. <laughs> And I, I know I'll pull that knife out of your back so quick. You'll feel it. You'll be, you'll be fine. I would you let know? Steve operate on me in a heartbeat, dude. I'd <laughs> let you choose. I'd let you choose what surgery you wanted to do. I don't even, even well, if I didn't need anything. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at Smart Wool. For more than 25 years, Smart Wool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They are here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. What's up, everyone? I'm Mike. And I'm O'Teal. And these are our Sunset Lake CBD gummies that are almost gone. Sunset Lake CBD is a farmer-owned business that ships CBD products directly from their farm to your door. For years, Sunset Lake was a Vermont dairy farm producing milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream. In 2018, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. And with a product for everyone, they offer pre-rolls, hemp cigars, and hemp flowers, as well as tinctures, gummies, and CBD-crafted coffee to help with stress, aches, and pains. Sunset Lake CBD saves you money by shipping high-quality CBD products directly from their farm to your door. Want to know what I've been using a lot of, O'Teal? This salve with the arnica. Uh, yeah. on, my, on my old bones, you get back from a show and you got tore ankle, rub a little bit of this on there, you're ready to dance the next day. And you know, S- Sunset Lake, uh, comes a time listeners can visit sunsetlakecbd.com and use promo code TIME for 20% off of their purchase. That's sunsetlakecbd.com, promo code TIME. And tell them we sent you. We used to have to do that. We, we couldn't afford doctors so we get hurt on the road. You know, uh, I remember one time I drove a screwdriver and we were in Philadelphia. I threw my hand. I was oh. Leslie, the, the plug on a Leslie cable, and I slipped. And went, right, I, couldn't, I look at, oh, my God, the screwdriver came right through my hand. And you got to take care of yourself. You pour alcohol in there, you know, and, oh. and times. I remember kid getting a big gash on his leg. We were lifting something and we sewed it up. You know, it was something that we learned from bikers from running with them. They would just take care uh-huh. of razor blade and, and, a, a, a what do you call it? A needle and thread. But when the road, if you, you, if you have the courage to dive into somebody's chest, I could open your chest, Mike, and work on your heart. <laughs> do but it. You got, me. And you got to hope that your doctor is as higher higher than you are at the moment. <laughs> got to go with that. <laughs> a leap of faith. This is how Steve works on operates on a heart. He opens it up and exhales a whole bunch of Grizzly Peak right on that heart, <laughs> and it just fixes itself. Do you and know how long zip. it took me and Weird to figure out that a hundred chicken brains are equal to a human brain, the same power? In series, you couldn't run parallel. You had to run them in series. And sometimes at night in the party room, we'd have to do brain surgery on people, man. And then we had to get them up for the next morning. 
Wow, so I can only try to find chicken brains in Cleveland, three hundred <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning. You can if you know where the market is, where they're selling their food. And, <laughs> and the sloppy guy that plays that day, man, and he's not staring. He's staring at the audience, but his headache's gone. <laughs> but his headache's gone. Amazing. I so, can't yeah, make this up. <laughs> no, I can make it up. I'm telling you, you want? I can tell you guys stories that would blow you. I'm still cracking up. Last time you were you were on, you, you talked about uh, Keezy and you made uh, nitrous out of chicken shit. Yeah, that was my favorite story I've ever heard in my whole life. You had to believe in those kind of things to do them, you know. Because when, <laughs> bring me a shovel of chicken shit. Where he didn't tell nitrous. You guys said, "What is he doing?" But it works out that way. See, and and so when uh, you have these hyper situations that you're all together with all these great people, it's going to make everybody rise to the top and keep going. So in other words, we traveled with nitrous oxide. There's a lot of bands couldn't play a show if they did as much nitrous as we did. But before the, uh, and we would try to tell the band, no, you guys got to go on. They wouldn't, they wouldn't hear of it. They had to get high too. And we were getting high. <laughs> And, you know, doing DMT at shows was very strange. We would do, Alzi made this incredible DMT, like nothing I've ever seen since. Or, or... Oh, no. Stick in a jar. And it's the most awful smelling stuff. It's like a combination of bubble gum and, and Hades or something. The smell of brimstone. <laughs> And, and you smoke some of that, and amps would blow up every single time we did it. The power would go off, or you could see amps blowing up. And the guys would smell it, and they knew. they go, wow, you guys are smoking uh, DMT. They would turn around because we would be huddled right behind the amps. And so we always knew that everything we did on stage affected everything. Mm. Because there's a welding point. O'Teal can tell you, if you trust your, your crew and your roadies, there's a welding point where you can't do your thing without them and they're there mm. to back you up, you know. But it, it, I always call it that welding point because sometimes, uh, you know, if something broke, Jerry wanted to fix quick, man. And he's a nice guy. But when you went out there to fix his pedal, he didn't whisper in your ear, happy birthday. <laughs> fix the motherfucking pedal now, man. You know, he, it was a, you were there, part of it. We were talking about uh, the other day, a guy asked me, we're the only ones. I think Ramrod taught it to me. And Jerry wouldn't stop playing when he popped an E string, a high E string. We learned to change the string while he was playing. Amazing. And people say it's unheard of. How did you do it? Because it was it was a thing that we could do with a guy like Jerry. And I, Shut up. Excuse me. <laughs> My trained dog team attacking no one right now. But uh, you no, know, the thing is that uh when that you're all out there together, you everything you do is to go down the road, man, and to keep the band running and to keep yourself running and no matter what happens in your personal life, you got to put that in a back burner for a minute. The yeah. band and the music becomes number one. And if you can't do that, you shouldn't be there. But it's a difficult thing. It's not easy. It is. People would fold after a couple of weeks if they really knew. Mm. I think it's, you know, 
just the the sleep situation alone. I could pick like any probably about five single things that would take them out. Mm. But you put it all together. It was like, yeah, you get to play for a screaming crowd. Yeah, there's there are these amazing uh and in other ways unattainable payoffs, you know, like positives, whatever. But man, a lot of this other stuff, especially if you think 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, like yeah. they ain't re- they they ain't ready for all that smoke. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking with another comic the other day about uh the hardest part about being on the road sometimes is like the th- three or four hours before the show when it's like you're at that point where is it too late to go to sleep but I'm jacked up for the show which is happening in four hours and I don't know whether I should eat now because I don't want to be uncomfortable on stage I like to go on hungry I don't want to go on full but then I got to eat in between like and you're kind of in this weird like limbo place where you're just stressed out for four hours and it's like maybe I'll take a walk and that only make takes 15 minutes away I'll take a shower 10 minutes away I'll call my wife whatever and you're still just stuck with yourself and like you said Steve when you come back to the room and you're all juiced up there's like a pre-show juiced up too yeah. where you're just like I, I don't know what to freaking do with myself you know that's yeah, hard. you're not nervous. You ain't you. You, you know you're right. always nervous. I don't know anybody that doesn't have uh, stage fright. Yeah, and I, I was thought a good thing. That... Uh, me, yeah, I, I, I was so interested to hear that Jerry always had stage fright. Oh, really? He did. I didn't know that. Wow, he had a lot of different little things he did. I don't. I'm having a hard time hearing everything right now for some reason, but I don't know why. But uh, can you hear us? I can hear you guys. It all just got real low. But, um, you know, Jerry had a ritual that he went through every day before he played. He was nervous from the get. That's why he would come to the show at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I think he liked the strength of hanging out with us while we set up. And he knew everything that happened at the show that way. He knew all the people that worked there behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. And it gave him a, a feeling of making it easier for him to do the show when he knew everybody was around. Uh, other yeah. people, you know, would just get there at the last minute and that still happens. And that was their way of dealing with it. It didn't mean they had less, uh, to, uh, of, of, uh, fright stage fright, but they dealt with it in a different way by, by, by preparing alone before they got to the show, you know, yeah. uh, but you can't hide from a show. You can't hide from anything. If you do a show and there's only three people out there, you still got to do it as hard as you do it if there's 50,000 out there because they're there to see you perform and you're sticking your neck out. And when you stick your neck out to do comedy, to do music, to put a painting out or whatever you do in the arts, you're sticking your neck out. And if you can't take the chop, don't do it. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Well, if you're phoning it in too, it's evident. The crowd knows when you're not into it 100%. When you're just going through the motions and you're already thinking about the the flight out or whatever, like it's evident. Like you could totally the crowd will, you know, and and then you begin to feel it. Like I've had moments where I've done shows where I'm I'm hungover or I'm exhausted or whatever, and I I'm halfway through it and I go, I'm not giving this what I should, you know, and I get pissed at myself, and that critic starts like, you know, step it up, come on, these people paid for a show, they deserve the best. Yeah. That's right. Sometimes I'm like just uh, a lot of times it's just the groove that gets me going. And sometimes I can't get going. 
and I try so hard and I don't have it. Like my feet, they can't, it's not something I can fake. It's not something I can perform. You know what I mean? And those are such frustrating nights, but then you got to have them, you know? And then it's like so evident when everything is going right, because I feel like, oh, my feet are don't are not don't feel like lead weights now. You know what I mean? I wish I had more control over it. But in a way, it's kind of sacred because it's I don't. Like you can't it either is or it isn't, you know? You gotta have some off nights, you know? And when it's magic, you're like, Oh, is it cooking right now? And I could warm up as much as I want. It doesn't matter. When you roll those dice, it's like, is it gonna be sevens or <laughs> you know, like What's it going to be? Snake eyes. <laughs> I can't believe that we're uh, 50 years from Europe 72 this year. That's wow. wild. That's really incredible. And I, and I was thinking about when you were talking about the wall of sound in 74, when you guys went over, how the hell did, it, did Europe handle the wall of sound when you went that other time with it? Like, I just have no idea how that was even, how many uh, planes I, did it take? I described <laughs> it as it was like trying to take uh, three elephants uh, with you everywhere in a Volkswagen and trying to explain everywhere you went that these are elephants. They will knock trees down and they will knock into you and be careful of the trunk. But it didn't work. You know, they didn't get it. And it was a disaster, basically. Because we would bring that gear out and the, the crews would just abandon us because they couldn't understand what we were doing. And so we had to do it ourselves. It was the opposite of how it was in the early days of that, when they would yell at us, Oh, well, we're going to set it up. Well, you can't set it up. We know how to do it. we got to do it with you. We are getting all these arguments when that time they thought we were just crazy and they abandoned us. And it was very difficult in 74 to take that large PA there. Um, it had everybody was in a state of burnout at that moment also yeah. where we'd been so working so hard all the time that everybody had turned to being their own doctors and and having their own chemicals that they took every day and it was making people crazy you know and so yeah. we had to take a little break for a while after that tour and get back into it again. Of course, Jerry and I never stopped for a second because we just kept doing the Garcia band. And uh, we took the big uh, hit of doing everything that people expected the Grateful Dead to do. But he never wanted that band to get too big. He liked that band to be of the size that he could play in nightclubs. We stayed in nightclubs with that band yeah. way long. We should have been moving up. He could have filled any place, you know, it was Jerry. and. Yeah you make that decision if you're him because he still wanted to be in touch with the people. And if he saw the way the prices are, it shows now, yeah, you know what I mean? I about we that. started, it was $2 all night. Those are what the shirts would say on the posters, you know? Yeah. And I look at the, some of the things now that people pay to go to shows. It's incredible. Even the Super Bowl. I just saw the Super Bowl. It ranges Dude. from the lowest ticket is five seventy five. $575 and the top one is $10,000, you know, I mean, it's incredible. What yeah, there's, people, there's, the <laughs> audience will sacrifice of their own selves to come and be entertained. 
They it's will a sacred it. honor to entertain them like we were talking about earlier. You've got to do your best. So you've got to have stage fright. You go on stage when your back's killing you and you play because they paid to be there and you want to make them happy. Yeah, right, right. You do have to take some self-care time, though. I think we had this uh, uh, comedian, Gary Goldman, was so great. And he said he has this special about depression, you know. And he said the greatest quote, he said, you know, for once, I decided that my art is going to have to suffer for me. It's like I need to just take a break. Like after the 74 tour in Europe, you're like, you know what? We're all going nuts. People are going crazy. Like we need to stop for a minute and come back to like some equilibrium or something. And I'm, I'm the older I get, the more I'm like always aware of that. Like, okay, how, how far is the pendulum swinging and let's get that bad boy. It's okay for it to swing. There's a season for it to summer tour. There it goes. But then we got to put things, we got to get this thing back in the middle, you know, for longevity. Yeah. <laughs> it never gets easy. No, it definitely doesn't. Is uh, I, I would love to talk with you a little bit about Grizzly Peak and what's happening with the, uh, the medicine and the cannabis world. Um, how's it going out there? And uh we're seeing a lot of change this year around the country. We're supposed to be seeing quite a bit of change. I was kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this cannabis in America kind of thought and uh, where you see it going. Um, well, states are making know, it way too complicated, it seems, you know. Yes, they are. And the thing is, because we in this country, we we do things like this all the time, you know, and I always compare it to back in the time when the Volstead Act, that was in 1914, and they, they banned alcohol in America with a constitutional amendment. Hmm. And so then yeah. when they did that for, what was it, 15 years, getting even more, they went into 1930s, they started realizing we've created a problem. We've got a huge crime problem now because everybody's still drinking. And not only are they drinking, they're poisoning themselves by making bathtub gin and, yeah. and going blind from drinking wood alcohol because they want to have inebriation. Right. Now, admittedly, America was a country of drunkards, man, for years <laughs> and years. We really were because everybody drank. And then they had to repeal that because organized crime became so important. Now they went right from that to simple things like cannabis and they made it illegal to become this thing that they had to be the enemy of the, of the state, you know? And, and so they went so far in keeping it demonized that they lost all the value, the medicinal value, the beautiful things that it did as a plant for clothing and for everything that our ancestors used. And so in the Grateful Dead, we decided we were going to smoke pot everywhere, every day, all day long, wherever we went. Now, when we started doing that for this joint right here, Mike and, and O'Keel, 10 years in San Quentin, I was caught with this much in 1968, <laughs> you yeah. were going away for 10 years. And so we always knew that, you know, and people around us had been arrested and done that yeah. time. 
So when it's legal now, and it took a long time, it, for states are making it legal. The same way that alcohol came back was dry and wet states. So yeah. we're in the same place we are now. The federal government will not take it off of Schedule One. That's the worst you could possibly get for any kind of medicinal thing. Yep. It's only heroin and cannabis that are in that category. And so we're in this place now where you got all these states that are, are legal, full legal, and you can't ship it. You can't use uh, credit cards. You can't use checks. Yeah. It's so stupid and it's so complicated. And so Grizzly Pete, we've been working our tails off. Everybody followed me around and were showing us the weed. They said, Steve, look at this. And there was all garbage, man. And then I found Grizzly Peak. And to me, it was real. What they were doing was real. They were keeping the old strains alive and they were keeping them in an organic way. And it had the strength that I could tell. And so I threw in with them and we, it's taken us years to get to where we are now. And we're making some real good progress and we're becoming in California something big. And so people from all over the country are, are getting a hold of me and they want it to spread everywhere. They want that same thing. The California model in their states, Massachusetts, Michigan, Montana, uh, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, they're all banging on my door and nice. I want to help them. But I tell everybody and I have to keep explaining, we have to throw off this silly schedule one. Yeah, man. Now, Biden ran on that. He said he would, but he didn't do it. He hasn't done it yet. And he doesn't seem to be caring about that. They keep trying to put up bills, but it never goes anywhere. So it's all stuck in this political mind. He needs to just become what it is. When you see a child with epilepsy and and you see what resin from cannabis can cool that out. And how long ago was that, Steve? Decade ago, right? That Charlotte's Web. That story was like, I mean, think about that. That mm-hmm. I, I remember seeing oh, that. Oh, no, no, a decade ago. Do you ever listen? Wasn't my that, friend, that you per- know the British owned India? They owned oh, India. Of course not. Yeah, and, I'm not saying they, it started it, 10 years one ago. One day but. in 1888, a doctor named O'Shaughnessy said, I want to go out with Ayurvedic doctors and see what their medicine is. Right. And they took him to Calcutta, to a hospital. And O'Shaughnessy was, was observing. And there was a three-month-old child on a table having an epileptic fit. Now, you right now, to this day, Mike and O'Teal, if, if a baby's having a fit, an epileptic fit, it's the worst thing a doctor could see. It's, it's, it wrenches your heart to see a child frozen like that and hurting like that and, and every part of their body shutting down. Yeah. Well, this happened to O'Shaughnessy the day he was following these doctors around in Calcutta. A baby, a three-month-old baby was going into an epileptic fit. And the doctor opened a drawer, pulled out a vial, stuck his finger in it, stuck it under the baby's tongue. Within minutes, the baby was calmed out completely. Wow. Couldn't believe it. He said, what is this? It was cannabis resin. And that he brought back to England, and they started using it. And it became a part of the pharmacopoeia of a whole world. When the United States in 1937 passed the Cannabis Stamp Act, Marijuana Tax Act, they didn't even know that marijuana and cannabis were the same thing. Mm. 
ignorance, <laughs> ignorance, man. And, and keeping wow. that stuff like that. And so we have denied so much beautiful things out of it. I yeah. knew right away that it was kept me sane. I got in a lot of trouble as a kid, man. I was a bad juvenile delinquent. And they sent me to places you wouldn't want to go, man. You wouldn't want to have done to you what they did to us. Beat us and threw us in places and cells, in dungeons. But when you finally got to talk to a, a psych, he would say, let me give this guy a test. And he told me, he said, you know what? You are genius, man. You can do anything you want. What are you doing with your life? He said, you got a fire burning inside you. And bam, the light went on in my head. I'm going to feed marijuana to that fire the rest of my life. <laughs> and it kept me on an even keel. Yeah. And it turned me away from everything. So I, I believe in it as a, as a real great thing. I did, yeah. But, and, 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 talk and, about and, new. 19, that was 1888. When no, I didn't mean that. I, I meant, yeah. No, you went yeah. on to it. Yeah. No, I don't think, Doctors I didn't think it was the first the time day, I saw it. Learning about it. Because once you put it on schedule one, that was a gift from Richard Nixon to my generation. He didn't like us because we didn't vote for him and we smoked weed. And so he made sure to make it for forever a bad thing. Yeah. But it has to yeah. be changed and it can be. Anyway, that's the real problem right now. Yeah. But it's flourishing in all the states where it's legal. You well, go to the places where you wouldn't believe it, and people are calling me up all the time. Now that they've discovered that it even protects your lungs from COVID, because finally they were allowed to do research at the University of Oregon, and they found that out. Yeah, It's yeah. so crazy. A Schedule One drug is not even allowed to be tested or learned about. But mind-altering pills that are prescribed and you could pick up at a pharmacy aren't scheduled or they schedule maybe three or four, if that. And uh, they're so addicting and so like debilitating even if in it, the long run. Even if it know? is schedule one, like fentanyl, the, the way it's allowed to proliferate, you know, like it yeah. just – it's 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 unforgivable the, really. The thing I'm seeing that's kind of interesting and it's, it's sad is that – even in these states that are starting to get to the point where they're going to be legal, they're convoluting everything to the point where it's up to each city or town to decide whether or not they want to allow it. And if they're going to allow it, do they make a designated space where people can partake legally? And it's like a parking lot next to like a Taco Bell or something. And like, do you really think that people are going to go drive their cars to there to get high and, instead of sitting in their house and being comfortable or going hiking in the woods and do, you know, like just it, it, the ignorance behind this. Meanwhile, you can get cigarettes and vapes and, and booze on every corner. And, and it's, it's, it's just, it, it's so unbelievably convoluted and complicated. And, uh, and that way know, on one, purpose, one grower per 50,000 or one, you know, two growers per hundred thousand people and all that. And it's, it's just, you know, it's so unbelievably convoluted and complicated. And it, I, I just hope that, you know. Well, I, by, I, I, I could tell you this. Biden could uncomplicate it by taking it off schedule one by executive order. Right? Well, yeah, there's a lot of resistance help. to that, surprisingly. I know. And they overtax it mm. right now. They're overtaxing it everywhere, making it difficult. Uh, it... it <laughs> It just defies your mind that we have to look at everything so complicated. The whole war on drugs was a total failure. 
most of it's based on racism and horrible stuff, you know, and and it doesn't help people in poverty. It doesn't care about people. I never understand why people freak out when they hear the word socialism or anything like that. We're all here to take care of each other. If we don't, it doesn't work. You can't turn your back on people and expect society to just patch over it. Uh, You know, society's not patching over it right now. You have to have a heart. You have to have a heart. Absolutely. And and, and, and those of us that do, I guess, really need to kind of just whatever, lead by example and do the best we can for the people that are around us, you know? And that's what the dead has always been and the community's always been. And you've been, Steve. I love listening to the conversations that you have on the phone when people tell you that they love you and you genuinely say, I love you back. And, and, and I know that you mean it because it, we are kind of in that, we're in that family that, you know, it was the music and all of that, but we need each other. We genuinely need each other. And, right. and it's, it's so amazing right. to hear, and, hear and, you, and you talking with people. Depend on each other more. Look at what's happening right now with everybody being so isolated in different mm-hmm. ways. You're seeing more and more mental anxiety and problems mm-hmm. occurring. We yeah. need each other more than ever. And I'm giving myself to everybody I can right now because they need it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've just lost a really dear friend of mine, a guy who started with me at Altamont. He worked for Santana. Herbie Herbert was his name. He was a great guy. Yeah. And I thought, how am I going to even face another day without him as a person in my life? You do it. That's how you do it. You just keep going. You don't let anything stop you from being a good person. And you take all the good people in your life. You know, O'Teal knows what I'm talking about. He's lost people in his life that you can't replace. But you go on. And those of us that are strong enough to do it have to help each other. It's like uh, when people call me and they, they tell me their problems, I care about them because they are part of this beautiful thing that we have. It's one of the best things I see on the planet, this yeah. musical family that the Grateful Dead created. And it was started on good vibes and it was started on caring about people. And it was started about getting music into people's heads to help them to escape all the other problems in life. That's a magical, sacred task that we all have. And that's why I came on your podcast today with you guys, because we're still getting that word out. These are our ways of doing it. Yeah. 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 And pandemic times. I love the young people. The young people really thrill me when they're interested, you know, because I tell them, I thought there was a time when I was so late to the the scene and you always are going to feel that in life, but you're not. You're there right at the right time and you've had everything in your life brought you to where you are and you've got to know it. You've got to be aware of that and to take advantage of it. Yeah. That's why it happens to, to the right people. If you notice in life, it's amazing how we take care of each other. I'll stop preaching. You guys preach. <laughs> no. You're you're amazing, man. And we, we couldn't ask we love for it. a better start to this year. So thank you <laughs> so right. much for hanging with us and spending time well i really like talking to you guys and uh anytime i'll be glad to do it with you you're both real special to me so there you go same here man and we want you to preach that gospel as much as you want to here brother we love it for sure lead singer disease i can't (laughs) wait to see steve in his leather pants (laughs) 
And I admit, I got a bad case of it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I trust you but, when yeah, you, you do. And we're here to save the world. It's Amen. only one joint away. The greatest thing about that is to, I, I, I'm just thrilled every day that I can see people smoking this weed that we brought out to them and they like it. It's a yeah, beautiful man. thing. And thank so, you. I, I thank, Bless you, brother. I thank the universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, everybody, check out the Big Steve Hour. When is it? Let's let the listeners know, Steve. Thursdays, 5 o'clock East Coast, 2 o'clock West Coast, and everything best, in between. The best hour of radio you're ever going to hear. I love it. I love it so much. Thank you, man. Thanks so much. See you soon. Okay, guys. Osiris. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.